the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir, and a pleasant good afternoon. Great to have you with us. Another edition of Lifeline here, as we are each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m., addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, quite the show planned for you today. A little bit later on, we're going to keep you abreast of what's going on traffic-wise. I know that it's been a nightmare out there between the fire up along the Oakland Hills yesterday and then that police-involved incident up on the 80 that had the freeway closed earlier today. Ouch. We've got Brian Peacock standing by in the KFAX Traffic Center, and he's going to keep on top of all that's going on get you home safe and sound tonight. So if you're a little bit stuck in traffic, that's okay. Deep breath. There you are. Let it out. Relax. You're not going to get there any sooner by being upset or stressed. So uh, why not enjoy the conversation? Let's get to it, shall we? Time Magazine said of it, there is no other product in the cultural marketplace more distinctly American. One study said it is a $10 billion, that's B, billion dollar a year industry on the Internet. It accounts for more than 2 billion searches each year. No wonder Google's so busy. And 15% of all of the websites in the world are dedicated to it. It's also responsible for 56% of all divorces, where one of the divorcing spouses say that the other spouse was obsessed with it. It is the porn industry. Joining me now is one of its former top ten film producers and second largest distributor of product, that being pornography. Keith Repult joins us today. He's got a brand new book out, which we're going to find out about in the course of our conversation. Meanwhile, Keith, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Glad to be on the show. I I first read your bio, and uh, just glancing at it quickly, I saw owner of the second largest porn distribution company. Wow, what? Wait a minute, what? (laughs) Then I read the word former and took a big sigh of relief. And I guess for you, it has also been a big sigh of relief, in spite of the fact that for a time this was um, quite a handsome profit center for you. But eventually, the attraction ran out. Give us a bit of an understanding, and I guess first a good place to start with is some in the audience might wonder, well, gee, how does somebody wind up in a business like this in the first place? Well, so if I understand your question is, the last of your question was, how did I land in the the business? Correct. Well, uh, you know, it's quite a story, but I'll try to shorten it uh, the best of my ability, um, you know, I, I came to California uh, pretty much running from myself, running from my childhood, running from uh, 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 Memphis, Tennessee, and, and a few, maybe a few uh, 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 
a couple of, of, of DUIs or breaking and injuries. I, I was pretty much a troubled kid, and I rode a Greyhound out to California. But uh, how did I get into the industry? <clears throat> After arriving into California, you know, I soon found myself uh, selling drugs, <clears throat> and uh, one of the way I, ways I had found that I could sell drugs was in a bar, and so I was in a bar, you know, looking to make some money, and, and uh, there was a guy at the counter, you know, at the bar having a drink, and I, I, he looked like he might be a good target. He had a big fur coat on. He had a, a large gold chain around his necklace, neck, and, and uh, you know, when he pulled out the paper his drink, he had a wad of $100 bills. And I thought, that guy, you know, needs drugs. So I went and <laughs> said, hey, uh, would you like to buy some drugs? And he's like, no, I don't want any drugs. And I said, well, then buy me a drink. And he goes, well, get a job. And I go, well, I'm looking for a job. And he goes, what do you do? I go, well, I build shelves. You know, I'm a carpenter. And, and he said, well, be at my store in the morning. You can build shelves for me. And uh, he bought me a drink and thought that was the last he'd ever see me. So the next morning, he pulls up to the store. And it turned out it was an adult bookstore out in Palmdale, California, called Sunshine Gifts. <clears throat> and I was sitting there with my tool bags. And I started working for him that day so that's that was my introduction to the industry and eventually it went from building shelves to working behind doing some of the distribution to behind the counter to doing sales and and if i remember the story correctly inside of your new book just breathe you wound up actually being his boss and owning the business yep um you know i i would go on to work for for Greg, uh, about ten years, and uh, there came a day that you know I was, you know, just running his company, and he was at home, and I was doing the hiring and the firing, and and uh, signing the checks, making all the decisions, and and I did. I, I went up and uh, to his house. I left work and told him I needed a raise, and, and he said he couldn't do it. And I said, Well, I'm going to go into business for myself, and and he said, Go ahead, you'll never make it. So I left him and uh, started my own company, and then it uh, wasn't soon long after that I became the second largest adult distributor of adult video in the U.S. On the, I was the largest on the West Coast, um, so I was the second largest in the U.S., and, and yes, he uh, ended up closing his company and working for me. This is certainly nothing from what you've suggested inside the book, Keith, that you seem to aspire to, at least not initially. And yet I wonder, speaking of your own personal background, um, you're from a broken family. You spent time in the foster care system. Um, you, you had some brush with Christianity, although early on not a very pleasant one, and we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, your grandmother, however, was a praying Christian and seems to have left an impression on you in that arena, but your your home life growing up, I guess we could say, was was anything but a happy one. And eventually, did I understand right that your 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 parents, separate of each other, wound up in six different marriages each? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I can't recall in the book if they said six each. I think my mother was five times married, and my father was six times married. Wow. Uh, my father's still alive. My mother died when I was 16. 
So there wasn't a lot of stability in your home life. And growing up, by the time you became a young adult and and made the move from Memphis, Tennessee, where you're originally from, to California, I guess you were open to find anything that would give you not only a a career, a a way to make money, but also give you, what, a a sense of stability? Yeah, I I believe it would be fair to say that. I mean, I do think that the guy that hired me initially uh, believed in me uh, and, and gave me, you know, responsibilities and, and kind of gave me a leg up, as you could say. And in in the course of the time that you spent in the business, and we should be careful to point out that you are no longer in it, that uh, you uh, got rid of your company some four years ago now. Um, and and are not only in an entirely different business, you're also working in in ministry, and we'll talk more about that later on. But if you if you look back and characterize your childhood, a lot of the instability there, um, being introduced to alcohol and marijuana at an early age, um, a, a lot of that, do you think, paved the way for where you wound up in the porn industry? Do you think? Uh yeah, I, I definitely uh, attribute uh, most of that to to why I ended up there. I mean, um, I, I certainly had feelings inside that I couldn't escape or couldn't understand, or and, and it you know kept me on the run. And uh, um, you know, yes, I did find tools that would would uh, which was drinking and drugs uh, that would take me from escaping the feelings that I would feel. And uh, so, yes, it would be safe to say that, you know, my childhood or, you know, I don't like to, today I don't really like to blame my childhood or or, or I like to accept, you know, my part in things, so. And that's important, isn't it? We we can talk about your, your road to recovery a little bit later on after we take a time out here. But do you think that's important? Because a lot of people tend to kind of go there and say, well, you know, I made all of these mistakes and I made a lot of wrong choices, but along the way, I did it because I came from a broken home. I did it because I had bad influences. I did it. It seems as if we spend a lot of time laying blame upon our childhood, but not taking much of the responsibility on for ourselves, do we? Correct. You know, it's funny. I was with a gentleman today, uh, and we were talking, um, and and he was telling me that he had made choices and 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 mistakes, and and he had to realize that they weren't mistakes; they were choices. You know, they he had he knew when he got to the to the end of the road, there was a left and there was a right, and he decided to go left. So I have to uh, claim those choices I made. You know, I can't, I, I I don't think that necessarily drugs, alcohol, or Porn addiction is is blamed on people who have a rough beginning, or because there's people who are are raised in homes that are normal and 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 they you know had everything and and they still made wrong choices. And I guess in the bigger picture too, from a spiritual perspective here, we have to understand as we are called accountable for our actions. 
at Judgment Day, God is not going to say, oh, you were the kid that came from the broken home? Oh, no problem. Uh, you, you, you get away uh, without any penalties. Or, oh, yes, I understand. Yeah, you had a bit of a, a cocaine habit there for a long time, so uh, not your fault. We have to be held accountable for our own actions and, and own them, don't we? Uh, yes, I, I agree with you, yes. If you've just joined the conversation, we are visiting today with former, and I put an underscore under the word former, former owner of the second largest porn distribution company in the country. He is Keith Repult. Keith, by the way, is currently serving as recovery pastor at Mission Church in Ventura, California, and has just written a new book released by Broad Street Publishing called Just Breathe. All stories redeemable, all brokenness repairable, all addictions breakable. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of our conversation with Keith Repult as this edition of Lifeline continues. All right, 516, eh, make it 517. Let's get a look at traffic right now, see how things are uh, shaping up. Tough commute earlier today. Is that holding true? The latest now with Brian Peacock in the KFAX Traffic Center. Brian, what's up out there? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are back to our conversation. Keith Repult is our guest. He has written a new book called Just Breathe. All stories redeemable, all brokenness repairable, all addictions breakable. We mentioned, Keith, just before the break that you had a praying grandmother that had a pretty significant influence on your life. Um, And would it be fair to say she was one of the early positive images of God that you had? Uh, yes, I, I think she had a very big positive influence in my life. Uh, I rem- um, Just shortly after I was pulled out of my um, my stepfather's home and, and my mother, I, I would go to live with my, my grandmother, who, um, and I was 16 years old, and, and, and she, this would be the first time that um, um, anyone would say to me that they loved me. And it was strange because sometimes she would say to me, I love you. And I'd hear these foreign words coming from the other room, and I really didn't know how to respond to it. I just kind of went, ugh, those are some, you know, three words that I'm not used to, and I don't know how to respond. And, and months would go by, and one day I would just answer back, I love you too. But she would be the first positive uh, um, Christian role model for me that I, because I knew every, you know, I knew there was a God because I knew my grandmother believed in God, and she was on her knees every morning and every night praying for me and and living the life that, and, and you know, she took me in. And it sounds like she she modeled to you real Christianity and relational. Christianity, And I make that distinction, Keith, because you also talk in the book about your experiences being exposed to Christianity through your stepfather, a stepfather that I would certainly characterize as being a religious man, um, going to church and uh, adhering to a lot of uh, rules and regulations that probably would put him in the, 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 the holiness Pentecostal camp. And yet, right. in terms of that demonstration of of genuine, relational, compassionate, 
Bible-based Christianity, that that experience that you had in in watching the brand, I'll call it, of Christianity that your stepfather modeled was very different from that of your grandmother's. It was, and, you know, I've actually been to see my stepfather here in the last uh, four years ago. I flew back to Memphis and went to see him and and to make amends for my own uh, childhood um, stuff as part of my amends trip. And, and, you know, back then it was so foreign to me when I moved into him with him and my mother for two years. It was the uh, first time I had lived with my mother in my whole lifetime as well. And, uh, you know, there were so many different rules and, you know, there, it was a God, it was a, I didn't understand it. You know, I, I could, it was, it was foreign to me, you know, uh, uh, you know, we couldn't swim with the opposite sex because, uh, you might lust off of each other. You couldn't go to a rated G movie because it might support a rated R movie. And I uh, couldn't do Halloween or there was a lot of, I couldn't do so You couldn't wear jewelry. You know, we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. It was a lot to take in as a child. Um, I carried that in my backpack for many years. I had a lot of resentment that I would later get rid of. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a difference. My grandmother's view was more of a loving God, and, and I'm sure his was too, but, you know, it was just a different a different experience for me. And and to that degree, then, your, your, later on, your, your conversion to Christ, your accepting Jesus Christ and coming to the fullness of a personal relationship with him, were there things about that early experience that you kind of had to work through? Oh, definitely. I mean, uh, can I tell you about my conversion with Christ? Because that's when I get excited. Please, you know, get so. excited for us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had moved, uh, uh, I had bought a few different homes trying, searching for happiness, and, and I had found a little weekend home down by the beach. And uh, uh, my wife liked yogurt, and so we we would go, uh, I opened a little yogurt shop for her down on the corner um, a highly visible corner down here in uh, a seaside community. And uh, before I opened it, I I put a, a banner across the front, coming soon. Uh, at that time, it was called Yogurt Hut. Coming soon, Yogurt Hut. And I wanted to uh, let people know that what was coming. And uh, one morning I got a phone call, and there was a, a, a friend of mine says, hey, something bad has happened to your yogurt shop. You should come down and check it out. So I got on my bicycle because it's a bicycle community and I rode down to the corner and it said real big in red letters on the front window, Porn Stars Wanted. And on the side of the building, on the banner, it said Porn Producer. And so it was, I, I had scraped off the red paint, I pulled down the banner, I came home, I told my wife, we need to move. I want to leave. Uh, it's, we got to run. And I was really good at running because that's what I've done all my life. And, and she says, no, we're going to stay. And we're going to get on our bicycles. We're going to ride down the street. You're going to hold your head up, and we're not running. Little did I know that little yogurt school would be my saving grace, and it would be God's tool that would change our me and my wife's lives. Um, the day before we opened, uh, a guy had walked, pulled in, and he wanted a cup of yogurt. Him and his son, he just moved here from Seattle. And he had this gazy alien look about him. He was 
super happy. He twinkled in his eye, and and he, and he came up, and I said, well, we're not open, but you can have a free cup of yogurt, and we'll be open tomorrow. And I thought nobody would show up because my secret was out, but I was going to open anyway. And the next day we opened, and the whole community came, and I was dealing with teachers and, and uh, policemen and firemen and it was just crazy like you know that they all came out supported the shop um, you know so at this point I have a successful yogurt shop I just built a new home down by the beach uh, I had a, a new a, a new son I had a couple daughters and and you know I had everything in the world I could want but I still had that those companies and uh, um, so a couple of days later, the guy I met the night before I opened comes in. I heard he had moved here to start a church. And for some reason, I was behind the cash register. He says, he walks in. I said, hey, do you think we could get a cup of coffee sometime? I don't know what prompted me to say that, but I just felt like maybe I should have coffee with this guy. We would meet down here at Starbucks in this community, and I would tell him my story. And then afterwards, he would say something like, well, can we? Can I pray for you, Keith? And I'm like, right here in Starbucks? No, you can't pray for me in public. I, I can't be seen praying. And so I said, why don't we just go to my car? You can pray for me there. <laughs> and he called my car the Almighty God. It was a, a Mercedes S550 AMG all murdered out. And we went and sat in the car. And uh, he said, Keith, can you repeat after me? And I said, well, okay. And we prayed the prayer. And, and afterwards he says, do you know you just gave your life to Christ? And I said, well, I, I don't know. I'm having to process this. I think so. And he says, you know, God loves you. He says he loves, He God knew what he got when he got you. And for some reason, when he said God knew that what he got when he got me, it just... I felt like he accepted me right where I was at, right in that moment. And something happened, and and this was different. Like you said, as when I was a child, this was a loving God. This wasn't the judge that I felt. This wasn't the God that I felt was a judge and just threw down his gavel. And, you know, this was a God that loved me right where I was at. And so that would be the beginning of my conversion. And at that time, as we mentioned, you were running the now newly opened yogurt shop with your wife, Samantha, new child in the family, but still ran your old businesses. Am I correct? Well, yeah. I, You know, I had one in one city. That was the distribution. And then I had a manufacturing company in another city. And they kind of were running themselves anyway. And... Uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, ironically, I was kind of pretending I didn't have these companies out there, and I was down here at the beach at a yogurt shop and just gave my life to Christ. And, and so what next? What was I going to do next? This was a, the big question. And, and it sounds as if God had some plans in store. We're going to pick up that part of the story when we come back after a brief time out. If you've just joined us, we're visiting today with a man who was once the owner of the second largest porn distribution company in the country and one of the top 10 porn producers. He is no longer in that trade. He details his experiences in coming to Christ in a new book called Just Breathe. 
By the way, Keith currently serves as recovery pastor at Mission Church in Ventura, California. We'll take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of Keith's story as Lifeline continues. 532, let's get the latest now traffic-wise. Back over to the KFAX Traffic Center, Brian Peacock. What's going on out there, Brian? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Our guest is Keith Repult. His new book, Just Breathe. All stories redeemable, all brokenness repairable, all addictions breakable. New released by Broad Street Publishing. The title, Keith, and part of your book is an acronym. Um, and in the B um, in breathe is admitting brokenness, and the R is relinquishing control. Was eventually relinquishing ownership of your company's part of this acknowledgement that it was time for you to relinquish control, evaluate your life, make amends, and, and eventually turn an important corner here? Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, it didn't happen all at once. Uh, after, you know, after, um, you know I, after I gave my life to Christ, uh, uh, Pastor Jude uh, said to me, he says, can I ask one more thing of you? And I says, sure. And he's like, can you come to church on Sunday? And I was like, well, I don't know, but, you know, I'll talk to my... And the first thing I said to him was, do you guys speak in tongues? And he goes, not at church. <laughs> <laughs> and so his answer was acceptable for me because I was, you know, I was still carrying stuff from, the, from my childhood days. But uh, I went home, I told my wife that I'm going to go to church on Sunday. And she was like, okay, well, this is another phase. Uh, he'll probably soon get through it. And and I went to church. And I remember that day I pulled up in the parking lot of the church, and I was pulled up to the back of the parking lot and opened my door and threw my cigarette out on the ground and put it out with my foot. And I stepped out of my car and looked through the parking lot, and there was more of those oddly happy people out front of the church, smiling and waving and and uh, I would go up, and this seemed to be the most, the hardest, one of the hardest things I had to do in my life was walk up to those people, and and uh, there came Jude out of the crowd. He was like, Keith, you made it. You made it to church. And he goes, let me introduce you to my friend here. He says, this is Mike. We call him Marijuana Mike. Hmm. He used to sell marijuana. And I thought, oh, my gosh, they're going to call me Porno Keith. <laughs> and I was... I was petrified at that point of the name that I might be given, but uh, I uh, attended church for six months, and I, I would sit on the front row every Sunday, and my wife wasn't attending church with me, and, uh, you know, I remember one day I was driving along, I called you, and I said, June, meet me at Starbucks, I need to talk to you, and he ran down, met me at Starbucks, I said, I think I should get out of the business, and uh, he said... Well, he later told me everything in him wanted to say, yes, get out and burn it to the ground. But God led him to say, no, I think you should wait for your wife. And that was shocking that a pastor would tell me, no, wait for my wife to get out of the business. And, you know, those words that he said was probably some of the wisest um, counsel that he could have ever told me at that time. Um, I would ask my wife, I'd say, hey, you want to, I think maybe we should get out of the business. And she wouldn't, she would, she would say, are you crazy? 
we're making a lot of money. That's we can't do that. Uh, my wife would soon another church. It's funny. God sent two church plants to Ventura to, I feel like, to save my family. But another church moved here to start a church plant, and uh, they met my wife. And my wife would start to go on long walks with them before they opened up. And the day came to uh, open the church, and uh, this this lady Jen Oaks, who helped me write my book. She says, hey, we're having church on Sunday. Would you attend with me? And I remember my wife coming home that day saying, well, you know, I, I kind of like her. So I'm going to go this one time, but I don't, I'm don't. i not going to go again. And so she went with Jen Oaks to church. And uh, that day she came home, and, and I said, what did you think? She goes, I loved it. There was a story they told, and I can't wait to go back next Sunday and, and hear part two of this story. So now we're going to two churches, and uh, I had to pick a home for my church. Uh, uh, so I went where, where my wife was, and uh, we started attending Mission Church. And uh, so, yeah, one day again, I asked my wife, hey, what do you think? Should we get out of the business? And she didn't answer, so I took that as a yes. Hmm. And that was the beginning. And it really, I think, as you share that, Keith, is demonstrative. And I want people eavesdropping on our conversation right now that may be on the fence. Uh, they have either tuned into the station by accident. Maybe your friend said, hey, you want to listen in. Uh, by whatever means you found yourself here listening to Keith's story. And you're wondering and you're thinking, boy, you know, I... I, I recognize that there's something missing from my life, and I, and, I, and I want a relationship with God, but, boy, there's all these rules and regulations and, and so much that I have to undo, and I feel as if, well, it's either overwhelming or I'll get all that stuff cleaned up first, and then I'll be ready to make a decision to come to Christ, or I'll be then ready to dive into a relationship and start going into church and things of that sort. And, and, and I think oftentimes, Keith, we, we get a, a misconception about what it means to be in relationship with God in understanding that, number one, the work, the principal work that has to be done has already been done by Christ's sacrifice on the cross. And that for us then, making a decision to follow him, to take up our cross, as Scripture says, to repent of our sins, becomes a process. And laying down much of the old life, while we'd love to think it's instantaneous, in reality, it takes time. It's a process, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it takes work, that's for sure. And it is a process. Um, um, there was a lot of, you know, I, I still had a lot of, stuff to uh, to take care of you know one of the things I I wanted you know I wanted to get baptized and you know I know in church they say you don't have to have it all together to get baptized but I wanted to just be out of the industry you know I thought that would be you know a good start is to come up out of the water and be free of the industry and uh, so that you know I would set out on that course to be free of the industry before I would go get baptized. And ironically, I was baptized right in front of my house here uh, in the ocean. And, uh, uh, but that, that didn't necessarily mean that I didn't still have a fight to fight. To be sure. And, and that fight is one that, you know, while in some respects it gets 
easier over time. It, it is still a battle that is ongoing throughout the entirety of, of our time here on Earth, because let's face it, the, the enemy has a, a bullseye painted on each of us. Right. And so when I'm saying that it, just because I got baptized, it doesn't mean I didn't come up from the water and still have more struggles to go through, uh, as I do every day. But uh, um, I was meeting with uh, Jen Oaks, who, who, who ghost wrote my book for me, and we would meet for two years, an hour a week, in a restaurant, and uh, she would record and then and write the story. Well, after my baptism, I was out of the industry, and uh, I my daughter was turning 21, and I wanted to take her to Vegas and show her Vegas Keith style, King Keith style. And I took uh, my two daughters, or two boyfriends, me and my wife, we went to Vegas. And I remember getting to Vegas that night and just kind of giving a little cheers. And um, from there, I went out all night drinking velvet roads, limo rides, paper hundreds being thrown out everywhere, and showing my daughter Vegas Keith style. And the second night, I called a dealer and was doing drugs, and they had to fly home without me on Monday morning. And this is after I've given my life to Christ, after I've gotten out of the industry, after I've uh, been baptized, um, but I still had more stuff to do. I got back from uh, my trip in Vegas, and I went to meet Jen Oaks, who was writing the book, Just Breathe. And I told her what happened in Vegas, and she said to me, I can't write your book anymore. You just wrote a whole new chapter. And she, I think she took a big risk saying that because I was attending church there. Um, anger, you know, I had a lot of anger when she said it. And uh, I, she says, I think you need to seek help outside the church. You need to maybe check out some 12-step programs. And I left there that day angry, upset, but yet I remember those words in Vegas when I came out on Monday morning and my wife looked at me from across the casino floor and she, I saw a look in her eyes that I hadn't seen ever. It was a look of disgust. And she said, you need to be a man. You need to lead this family. You need to be a father. I need a husband. And those words with Jen telling me to, to seek help, I made it to a 12-step program, and that would begin a new journey. Keith, I appreciate so much the time today, and of course for listeners, uh, a lot more detail than we could ever possibly go into here on the radio inside the pages of Keith's new book, Just Breathe, All Stories Redeemable, All Brokenness Repairable, All Addictions Breakable, newly published by Broad Street Publishing. You'll find it in Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can get it through, of course, Amazon.com, or get information online by going to Keith's website at Keith Repult, R-E-P-U-L-T. KeithRepult.com. Keith, thanks again so much for the time. We're at 549, so a little bit late here. Let's get caught up on traffic. The latest now with Brian Peacock in the KFAX Traffic Center. Brian? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
You know, when you think of a lot of the challenges that our nation has been facing for the last couple of three years, um, you know, unemployment situations, uh, loss of homes because of a foreclosure, uh, you know, it, it's easy to get discouraged, certainly to kind of live in that that place that's sort of permanent disappointment. And yet out of all of that, particularly for Christians, how do we we be uh, sort of adequately rise up and, and, and above all of that so we can go on with life and, and enjoy victory in our relationship with Christ. Well, that topic uh, centers around the title of a new book written by my next guest. Uh, You'll recognize her as having been the uh, Emmy Award-winning co-host of Aspiring Women on uh, KTLN here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's written a number of best-selling books, in fact, over 30 to her credit, including her latest, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope. And Michelle McKinney-Hammond. Michelle, great to have you on the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Boy, this is a, this is a timely topic. So many people are just dealing with that kind of overall biting sense of disappointment of what's going on. They've, you know, Life can be tough enough, and then when you add to it the economy and so on and so forth, yes. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in that place and they don't know how to get out. Yes, yes. Because they begin to see cycles in their lives, and it, it leads to the, to the deception that this is all life has to offer, and, well, I should just settle in and, and not expect more than where I am, and then we begin to, to make choices that sink us even lower in, into that place, you know? And then I wonder, as that process is kind of taking place, um, if there needs to be a change in our thinking, you know, I think there are some Christians who, who move into that position of defeat and disappointment, and they kind of, you know, kind of conclude that it's here, it's here to stay, so I have to learn to live with disappointment right. as opposed to learning from disappointment and then moving on back into victory. Right. Because every disappointment, you know, a friend of mine um, all describes disappointment as a disappointment uh, in the sense that we make appointments in life for ourselves decisions of, of what should be or how things should go. And when the other people don't meet us there, the other parties involved don't meet us there, we feel dissed, we feel um, cast off. Um, and it just really invites a spirit of rejection that lowers our self-esteem and, and literally paralyzes us um, so that we do get stuck, as you said. And a lot of it, I think, then comes down to misguided expectations. I mean, let's think for a moment about people. How often do we live in that position of disappointment because our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife, uh, our parents uh, did something or behaved in a fashion that disappointed us, and now all of a sudden we're, we're kind of stuck in that defeat position? Yeah, yeah. It's true. And, and, and you know, life is, is a greater thing than that. And so... We really cannot base uh, how, the conclusions that we make on life based on what people did or didn't do. It has to be come from a, a deeper place. That's why I use the, uh, the woman at the well um, as an example um, in this book, How to Get Past Disappointment, because she had been through a cycle of disappointments that led her to the conclusion that that was all life had to offer for her. And And the danger in that is that when we get so jaded by our disappointments, we can't recognize the blessing when it does present itself. And, you know, what's amazing about that story is that um, e- even as, as Jesus meets with her, mm-hmm. he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. 
you know, we, we I think sometimes think that we can kind of hide that. We try to mask those feelings mm-hmm. instead of coming to the terms with them or instead of dealing with the root cause of what is behind the disappointment and sometimes the role that we play because maybe we've gotten our eyes focused more on the person or the situation instead of keeping our eyes focused on Christ. And, and maybe as we're, you know, kind of trying to keep up fronts, you know, keep up appearances, and yet Jesus fully knows what's going on, doesn't he? He does, you know, and, and, and what I think is important for, for listeners to know is that despite your bad choices, um, your seeming failures, or even uh, the contributions you think you've made to your life being the way you are, Jesus makes an appointment with all of us. I mean, Jesus went to that well to meet that woman on purpose. It was a purposeful decision to be there that day when she got there. Um, and I think that he um, is just as purposeful with meeting us in those places of disappointment. He has an appointment to meet us there, um, to show us another way, to show us another wellspring, another area of fulfillment um, that will bring about uh, what we've been thirsting for. I don't think that she even realized how deep her disappointment was until he started pushing her buttons and uh, getting her to see that there was an option. You know, so many people that I talk to who are disappointed feel they don't have any other option. Mm. Um, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine the other day on the phone in uh, another failed relationship, and she said, well, here I am alone again, um, and I don't think I'll ever have anyone. I said, well, maybe you don't have anyone today, but don't feel that because that person rejected you that you have no options. You have options. And as a matter of fact, uh, we exercise those options every day. I mean, I always tell single people, you're alone because you want to be alone, because there are people that you decided that you did not want to have in your life. Mm. You know, so don't don't say that, you know, oh, you you are the helpless person in this. No, you've had options that you chose not to exercise. So you are single by choice. How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, the title of her new book, newly published again by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com, as well as through Bay Area Christian bookstores and bookstores overall. Uh, Michelle, as we talk about sort of realigning our, our expectations, talk to me about the process of moving from from fear to hope in in the backdrop of dealing with circumstances, sometimes of our own creation, sometimes beyond our control. But nevertheless, how do we go about making that transition from fear to hope? Well, it really is taking, taking our eyes off of what we consider the source to seeing the root of the issue because the disappointments in our lives are really the fruit that emanate from a root. And I, I think that a lot of times we live on the surface and, and we only deal with what we see versus what we don't see. Uh, when we look at the conversation that took place between Jesus and the woman at the well, we find out that the issue was deeper than her desire to be loved by these men. It really was a great need for God. Almost a crying uh, out in a sense. Yes, yeah. yes. Uh, you know, she was trying to fill a void uh, with the, to the best of her ability with something that was natural not knowing that what she needed was supernatural. Um, and, and, and it's very interesting because there's a very subtle uh, conversation that happens uh, when she tells Jesus, you know, this water that you're talking about, I want it because I'm tired of being thirsty and I don't want to have to come back here again. And I think that a lot of us are that way. We're tired of longing, and we don't want to keep revisiting the same issue over and over again in our lives. 
And he says, I'll give it to you, um, you know, go and get your husband. And now we get down to, to the nitty-gritty of confessing where we really are. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, I mean, she probably had been saying she had a husband. She was living with a man, according to the scripture. And he says, you've told the truth. And he congratulates her on it. He says, you've done well to tell the truth. So um, we know that the word says that the truth is what makes us free. It gives us the tools we need to, to get beyond where we are. And uh, so he congratulates her. He's very gracious with her and says it's true that you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not yours. So what he was bringing up was, here's this cycle that you've had in your life. And, and you, you've had five, five, six men, and you're still thirsty. You know, what have we continued to do and still felt the same longing, the same disappointment? even though we thought we were applying solutions to our, to our longings and desires. And I think that the light went on in her head, because even though she perceived him to be a prophet, the question that she asked him was not about the men. It wasn't about, will those relationships work out? It was, how could she get to God? Because obviously the men had never been enough. And I say that what God is saying to all of us in the middle of our disappointments is, Look to me so that I can show you the source of fulfillment. Look to me so I can give you the wisdom to find a better way to exercise different options in your life that bring about the victory that you desire. And, you know, you put it so well because so often this ends, ends up being a product of having put our trust, our faith, our hope and desire on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, most definitely. And, and he must be. You know, he says, I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And then he says something even more spectacular. He says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. I am your exceeding and great reward. And the reward is the pleasure of being in my company. Because when I come into your life, I bring everything that you've been looking for. And all of those solutions are found in me. He, he's the one who gives us the wisdom uh, to, to gain the things that... He knows we want. He's not opposed to us having what we want, but he wants to add what we need to the ball game too. Yeah. And sometimes we don't recognize that. I don't think that uh, that woman didn't even know why. We don't know, you know, the the inside scoop on all those relationships. He said she had had five husbands. So if he said five husbands and then differentiated that the one she was with was not hers, that means she had five legitimate husbands. What happened to them? Did they divorce her? Did they abuse her? Did they leave her? Did they die? We do not know. But out of it came a vow, obviously, that she was not going to put herself in the position to be disappointed again, and she made a bad choice. She made a choice that she thought would put her in the position of power by simply living with someone so that she could not be abandoned again. And we do that. We, we prop ourselves up and we begin to make compromises that we think are guarding our hearts, but it really puts us in the position for greater pain. We appreciate so much, uh, Michelle, the insights. I know a lot of this comes from your own life experience, and, and I'll let readers get a copy of the book to, uh, to get more details on that. Meanwhile, again, um, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, published by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com and certainly at uh, Bay Area bookstores. Also information on the web at MichelleHammond.com. That's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, MichelleHammond.com. Michelle, thanks again so much for your time. 
Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.